If you're looking for success in the vacation rental industry, Heather Bayer and the team at cottageblogger.com are here to show you that it's entirely within reach. Welcome to Vacation Rental Success, the show that features interviews with industry experts, successful vacation rental owners, and more, all geared toward helping you make it happen. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. Well, hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and I'm delighted as ever to be back with you again. Now I've got my Google Home. I'm so used now to getting up in the morning and going in the kitchen and saying, good morning, Google, because I do now talk to inanimate objects, as I'm sure you all do. So uh, don't judge me. But I say, good morning, Google. And I get the response, good morning, Heather. The temperature outside is usually something ridiculously cold. And this is the weather forecast for today. And here is the CBC News. And it's it's really neat. I love it. I just don't have to do anything more than say good morning, Google. So I really like that. But then the next thing I tend to do, I'll go sit down, open up my laptop and, and check what's happening in the world of vacation rentals. And yes, I do sleep, eat, breathe, whatever, vacation rentals. I've been doing this for 25 years. And like anybody that's been in a, an industry for a long time, it is probably the first thing you do when you start your working day is to check the industry news. And every day there's something new. There is always something new, whether it's new legislation that's just popped up in some small county somewhere across North America or there's a new report that uh, an Airbnb property has been trashed to smithereens, or we hear that HomeAway, VRBO, Expedia, Priceline, Booking.com, whatever, has, has done something, has made a change in their algorithms, and it's impacting owners, it's impacting property managers. There's always something. There's always something interesting. I, I follow a couple of places that give me this news, and just briefly... They are VRM Intel. We know that Amy Hynote from VRM Intel is always completely on the ball as to what's happening in the world of vacation rentals, as is smarthosts.org. And uh, Smart Hosts run by the Vorton family, Danny, Richard, in, um, in the UK. Um, Smart Hosts will bring you everything that's recently been published in vacation rentals. So whether it's it's a blog post or a, uh, a, a an interesting piece of news or one of their own uh, articles that's giving some insights into the industry, that's always a great spot to uh, to go to to check and see what's going on. And then there's the uh, the the more the, the mainstream travel platforms like Skift and T News. Now both Skift and uh, T News cover the wider world of travel, just not, not just vacation rentals. And, and in fact, a few years ago, it would be, you know, you, you, it would be quite a surprise to see anything about vacation rentals on there. But since, um, you know, since the past few years, we see reports, particularly on Skift, just about every, every week or so about something to do with uh, maybe Wyndham or Vacasa or Airbnb or HomeAway, something that somebody's doing and making changes. So Skift is a really good one to subscribe to. T-News, which is short for travel news, um, is is similar. 
Now, you often find if you're looking at um, at articles on on Skift or T News that they will go to industry experts, people out there who are going to give them some sound bites, some insight into what is actually going on in the industry. And one of the people that is so often quoted in these is Andrew McConnell of Rented.com. I've known Andrew for a number of years. In fact, he has been on the Vacation Rental Success podcast twice before. And he's the person I go to when I want to hear the the wider implications of what's happening. You know, I, I can hear that something's gone on on HomeAway and go to the Say No to VRBO group and there's an impassioned outcry from many of the 5,000 members on there. To get a more measured view, to get a look from the more global perspective, Andrew McConnell is, is usually my go-to person because he does he has the ability to look at every perspective on the current news and and give a, a measured and reasonable response that lacks the emotion, which of course owners and property managers feel when these changes happen. So since we have got into 2018 and things are happening again right the way across the industry in different aspects of it, I thought it was a good time to go revisit with Andrew, talk to him about what the highlights were of 2017 in his view, and just ask about some of the things that, that, that happened and what their impact was then and how the industry is coping with those changes now, as well as looking at what the opportunities and threats are for us in 2018 and beyond. So without further ado, Let's move on over to my interview with Andrew McConnell of Rented.com. So I'm delighted to have with me today Andrew McConnell from Rented.com. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Morning, Heather. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me yet again. Well, this is um, this is the third time you've um, you've been on the Vacation Rental Success podcast. So it seems to be a, a almost an annual thing now, which I think will probably continue. You know, once a year, I'm going to come to Andrew McConnell and ask for the global perspective. And I'll, I'll do my best to provide it. <laughs> well, the, you know, you do seem to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the industry. It, it's very easy to get into this, you know, this, this granular viewpoint, you know, down in, down in the weeds, um, say in the Say No to VRBO group. I go in there to see what's, you know, what, what's happening at the coalface, if you like, and, mm -hmm. you know, hearing from people who are having issues with HomeAway or TripAdvisor or Booking.com or whatever, they're, they're, they're independent owners. They're, a lot of them are struggling at the moment, and it's, but it's very easy to get in there and go, oh, my God, this is awful. The OTAs are really screwing them around and something needs to be done. And then you go out and look at the wider perspective and look at you know, why all this is happening. So what I'd like to do today is sort of look back into 2017. What were the highlights of, of that year? Um, for the, uh, of course, for some people, they were the lowlights. Um, what right. were the biggest surprises? And, and what about last year came as no surprise at all, but might have impacted a lot of people? So what was, what was seven, 2017 like for this business from your perspective? For me, there were some real shocking developments from 
the most talked about and covered player in our industry, and I'm talking about Airbnb. Namely, it was the quarter billion dollar acquisition of luxury retreats. And this, this I found incredibly surprising for a couple of different reasons. One, with the launch of Wimdu, when, when Rocket Internet and the Sandbar Brothers tried to, to do the same thing they did to Groupon with City Deals of, hey, we're going to launch in some markets where you're not yet and force you to buy us at an inflated price. I, I heard Brian talking about that and he said, it's just not in our culture you know, to, to go buy another culture. We're Airbnb. We have our ethos. We have our way of doing things and building things. And this idea of big acquisitions, just not something we're interested in. And so I had talked to Deanna at Skift and said, I just don't see them. I know they have a ton of money. I just don't see them doing big acquisitions. It's just not part of who they are. And then they go spend a quarter billion dollars. <laughs> and I said, to the head of North America, I said, man, you're making me look really bad. I just said, you're not going to go do this. You're going to build it yourself. And the response was, well, we tried to go do it ourselves, and we couldn't successfully do it. So it was actually cheaper for us to go buy it. But ah, well, that's, that's an interesting perspective. I mean, it's build first. And if that doesn't work, then we'll start looking outside for other things. And it's, they had a number of other smaller acquisitions with Tilt, and I know they looked at uh, one of those boat rental companies, like the Airbnb for boats. They looked at one of them and then ended up pulling out because the, the economics weren't good. But it just signaled the shift, one, of being more open to getting innovation from outside, which was surprising, and spending big dollars to do it. And... When you combine that with the fact that they closed the year offering a billion dollars to buy Wyndham's European arm, then you're saying, wow, they're, they're really open to spending big dollars. So I found all of that surprising and perhaps even more surprising was the areas that they chose to spend. So offering a billion for a manager, essentially. Mm -hmm offering a, billion, uh, a quarter billion and spending a quarter billion buying luxury retreats, it really showed a shift from, oh, we're just the retired couple renting out their spare bedroom because they're empty nesters now, to this realization that people want and are demanding a more professional experience when they go stay at these places. And that if Airbnb wants to continue its rocket-like growth, it needs to have a stronger presence and stronger footing in that area. And could, so, you, could you tell us a little bit more about what luxury retreats actually is or was? Yeah, well, I mean, they still operate as a luxury retreats brand. I think you probably saw them at the VRMA. They had a, a pretty decent presence there. But they're a highly curated collection. I think it's four or 5,000. Maybe it's bigger now with, uh, with Airbnb. But highly curated, very, very expensive uh, luxury rental properties. And so it's not just a listing site. They also provide really top-notch concierge-level services. And so they gave these examples of A-list celebrities going through divorces and that to get them between locations, they would literally send three cars for pickup, take them through a certain 
uh, garage and send them three different directions and do all these things to throw the paparazzi off so that when they got to their home, they really could have a retreat that was luxury, right? That was totally isolated. Nobody knows where they are or what they're doing. And they're not any other booking sites in the world that I think do stuff like that uh, and not many other management companies. So they, they really play at this high, high tier and deliver exceptional on the ground coverage and concierge like services. That, that's so interesting because we've, we've just gone through this issue in, in Toronto um, with legislation for um, Airbnb style properties and and the you know the coverage of the ads is all exactly you know the the the, the retired couple who who just want to rent out their room and why why is the why, why is the the Toronto council being so unfair on them taking away this the few pennies that they've got coming in and just mm-hmm. the, the, this um what's the chasm between between that and and this luxury style of property that uh, that you've just been talking about is just it's just so massive it's hard to comprehend you know how you can grapple with these these two ends of the spectrum and and still be successful i mean part of it is that san francisco mindset and west coast mindset of well we're a 30 billion dollar company we need to own the world it's not enough that we created airbnb right i mean airbnb and the whole concept of that was revolutionary. If you, if you told anybody 10 years ago, Hey, there's going to be this thing where strangers rent out their spare room to other strangers and people pay for that. No one. People said, you're absolutely crazy. That that's not going to be a thing. No one's going to do that. And yet they were global phenomenon with that. And to justify a $30 billion valuation and to take it up to, you know, a hundred, they really can't stop innovating and can't stop expanding. They don't want to own a sliver. They want to own the world, right? Amazon, their whole thing is we're the everything store. We want to own everything. We'll go drop $13 billion to buy Whole Foods because we want to own everything. And I think that is this West Coast mindset of we never stop. It's, It's not enough. Whatever we have now is not enough. And you get exciting innovation. You get big acquisitions from others that are innovating, innovating as a result. Um, and it's, it really drives the space forward. I think. Were there other surprises in 2017? For me, nothing that big. It, that really showed, it doesn't matter how big you are or how big you think you are. Others think you are the space and the industry are much, much bigger. So even though Airbnb internally may have had this ethos that we need to build everything may have had this ethos that we are only focused on these individual small hosts that are cooking breakfast for people because that's how we started. There are realities about the space that are just more important, that are more important than their own beliefs, and they can't force their beliefs onto the industry. And so it was this question of, do we keep fighting this uphill battle and kind of peak what we can do and grow into, or do we embrace how the world is and take advantage of that. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I, I, I equated a little bit to Facebook of, you know, after the election, people are blaming Facebook and saying you know, fake news and all these things coming on there. And Mark Zuckerberg said, well, we're not a news site. We're not, that's not what we do. And 
in his mind because he started it off as, hey, you share some personal stuff on your Facebook page as a sophomore in college. He didn't see Facebook as that. But the reality is 15 years later, that's how people were using it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what you as a founder may believe or may want. Once you reach a critical mass, your customers are defining your product, defining your space, defining where you need to go. And you can fight against that or you can embrace it. And I think this uh, 2017 showed some of the most visible indications that Airbnb is embracing that. Yeah, it's, I, I find it fascinating changes happening so fast these days. It just came to my mind the other day when I was thinking about the drive to instant booking, let's say, and the the vocal opposition to that by what uh, what you've mentioned to be sort of a, a minority. But it got me thinking back to the. Do you remember the time when reviews, live reviews, were were the new thing? And I I don't know what year that was. It was probably about eight nine years ago, mm-hmm. and. And I remember this this burgeoning revolution saying we cannot have this. We can't have people right. being able to to t- 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 say what they think without us vetting it, without us as owners and managers vetting what they say. Because you know what happens when they say something negative. I just remember talking to people at that time, and they were so upset that this was happening. And yet here we are now with. I don't have any reviews. Why don't I have any reviews? Right, everybody's <laughs> chasing reviews. Yeah, you've got to have reviews, and I've got 25 reviews, and it's, it's just so natural now. You wouldn't, and in fact, with, with anything, you wouldn't, in fact, go out and buy a TV or a refrigerator or a new laptop without looking at the reviews first. It's just part of our culture now. I mean, anything you do, we're looking to take a vacation. And of course, the first thing I'm doing, you know, what are the reviews of the best places to go? I plan my trips based on other people I read. Okay, this person seems most aligned with my way of thinking and what I enjoy. Okay, what are they saying about these different places? Yeah, and it's, it's, it just doesn't yeah. seem, I mean, for me, it just doesn't seem that long ago that, uh, that was, there was just huge outcry about this awful thing that was going to happen. Um, but I, and I'm wondering if, you know, the, the way people look at things like instant booking. And I know as a property manager, I look at that and I rail against the idea of instant booking because we have for the 15 years we've been in business, we try and we, we say we match guests to our properties. You know, that's, that's part of what we do as a property manager, as a service to our owners. So if, if that's taken away, that, that very careful matching, that's pretty awful and we don't like the thought of it but are we in the same position with instant booking that in a couple of years time everybody will be doing instant booking and it will be just as natural as getting a review now i'd say 98 percent certain yes uh and the the reason for that is manifold in that there's this kind of law of markets that you end up with a shakeout that the top X players, top 10 players account for 90 plus percent market share. And it's not that the 10 are relatively equally or evenly distributed. Number one tends to be twice the size or bigger than number two. 
and as much as the next top 10 all combined. It's, it's a huge gap between the, the winners and the rest. You get this long tail. And we had this belief in the 90s and early 2000s that this internet was going to be this whole democratizing force and a thousand flowers would bloom and it, you'd have this really, really long tail um, that would succeed. And it's played out the exact opposite uh, in that the people who sell albums, they're like five people. It's Adele and Taylor Swift and a few others. And basically nobody else is making money selling music. Um, books, it's a similar thing. Amazon's winning e-commerce. Its market share is absurd compared to anyone behind it. It's not going to be different, I wouldn't think, because it's not been different in any other industry ever in bookings for alternative accommodations or accommodation more generally. Right, Homeway is now under Expedia. It's just accommodation. Uh, Airbnb's listing hotels and becoming an OTA in that sense. And so you can go try to fight the battle for we're not going to do this. I'm going to not use your system then. But the reality of the situation is more and more bookings every single day are moving online. As they move online, more and more market share of those bookings go to a smaller and smaller number of sites. And whereas hotels are fighting that battle with the OTAs, hotels, there are four or five brands that account for seven or eight, uh, 70 or 80% of the market share there, right? You have two highly consolidated, massive industries fighting each other. With this, an instant booking and online booking of alternative accommodation, you have three big players that are going to own the industry. And then you have a hundred plus thousand individual managers, plus millions and millions of owners, totally fragmented trying to deal with that. It, I just don't see a world in which fighting against the reality of the situation and the giants makes any sense or succeeds. But the, my, my only counterpoint for that comes from GB Shaw you know, he says the, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. So the safe bet would be saying, okay, this is where the world is. I'm just, I'm not going to fight this uphill battle anymore. Let me adapt to the world. But there will be someone at some point who says, no, absolutely not. This is not right and does something different. And will change the industry. The difficult thing is with this kind of vocal minority fighting against it. They're fighting against it for self-interested reasons. Guests really do want instant booking. And so there may be something different. I don't know if you're going to change instant booking. Because that's what people actually want. They want to save time. They don't want to have to wait a week to confirm a reservation and have an interview to be able to go somewhere. Yes, there'll be innovation. People will probably displace the, the big players in the long run and new players will come in and there'll be shakeouts, et cetera. But on that point, instant booking, just because it's going to be driven by guests and the people actually paying money for these places, that to me just seems inevitable. So so the, the drive at the moment, again, we're going down to this, this, this granular level to um, bringing travelers back to direct booking. 
and and there is a proliferation of these smaller uh, independent local sites starting up and and people saying uh, at certain levels yes they they are now getting a, a good proportion of their bookings via those sites or their own website or doing it independently and they're dropping off home away and VRBO other legs in this it, I, to me you just need to do a cost benefit analysis in the short run when you talk about players and giants owning a big market share when people are going to book most go to google before they go to either of the big sites and google's ownership of the space is way way bigger than the otas uh, in terms of the market share they have for online advertising and similar for facebook i guess but if, if and when Google changes things, like, okay, we're going to move more to local SEO, and we're going to show it above ads, and we're going to show it above the generic SEO, then I think there are ways for local managers to succeed in that world. Now, the problem is you have no idea if next month or a year from now or two years from now, Google's totally going to change how they see the world and what they want and what they'll charge you for that. And so you're still going to be beholden to how Google decides to, sh to show uh, people searching your company. That's, that's one thing. You're always going to be subject to the vagaries of the big, big players. The other piece of it is, whereas with a OTA and online booking channels, you know the rules and you just kind of pay and you go use them and they'll, they'll just drive bookings to you, to manage your own, and to move to direct booking and trying to go through SEO and SEM and uh, display requires constant focus, constant attention, and money spent prior to the booking. You're going to have to be paying not only the salaries and everything, but also for the ads themselves. And so economically, you may feel like you had a moral victory and that you got these bookings outside of those channels. But it may not be a financial victory, even if you are able to get just as many bookings. You need to actually run the math and not just the math of, well, I would have had to pay X percent to home away and this booking only cost me this. It's, well, what did that cost you in headcount and in office space for that headcount and in benefits if you offer benefits for that headcount and salary? And what could all of that gone to instead if I was willing to just put that to the booking and focus on what my true competitive advantage is. Because in this day and age, no manager's competitive advantage is online booking. There are players that are better at that. Let them focus on that. Focus on your own competitive advantage. Focus on what the guests care about. And that's where you're gonna do better. You're getting distracted because you're mad at the big players. Well, no, think about guests. Stop thinking about your personal relationships with third parties you work with, think about what guests want and what they value and focus on that. So the argument that comes from you know, these, these on-the-ground groups, mostly owners and, and smaller property managers, is that uh, you know, travelers will come to the realization at, one, at some point that they are paying uh, a service fee that is, mm -hmm. that is unnecessary for them to do. So if we tell them that this service fee is unnecessary – then they will see the light and, and they'll come back to, to, to booking direct in droves. What, what's your view on, on how travelers see a service fee for, 
for buying a vacation rental week when they're not yeah, getting I, this for hotels and flights and other other they're not see i mean the, the fees are there they're just not yeah. as in your face they 100 percent are there i think it, it just shows a fundamental understand misunderstanding of what the travelers care about and value to to argue otherwise there are certainly the bargain basement hunters who value their time at zero I mean, my mother-in-law, love her to death, and she's great for it, but she's totally fine spending four hours of her own time finding the one site that's going to save $10 a night on something. That's, that's totally worth her time. She enjoys it. That's a thing she's going to do. She is not the majority of consumers. We live in a relatively affluent society, especially people who are going to go book these kinds of vacations and pay the kind of money they do that pays for service. We pay for valet parking. We pay for pre-cooked meals and not having to spend the time ourselves. We pay for people to cut up our freaking food for us and mail it to us so that we can go cook it without having to take the time of thinking through the recipe, et cetera. So to say, oh, these people are going to be really upset because there are these fees and it's not providing any value. It 100% is providing value. It's saving them time. It's saving them cognitive load of, hey, I know I can just go to Expedia. I know I can just go to Airbnb and it's easy and I know I'm going to get something good there. That's to say, oh, they're not getting anything for it really misunderstands what the booker, what the guest, what the traveler values. And again, it's selfishly thinking only from your own perspective and taking your time, your energy, your resources, and not putting it to improving something the guest values and wants and cares about, but just doing it for your own, I don't know, peace of mind, mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, it, it's, and often against your own economic interests. Like, I think the funny thing with the, this vocal minority on this is it's not so different than the local vocal minorities and NIMBYs fighting for regulation of short-term rentals and banning of short-term rentals. It's those people like Orange Beach, uh, they voted against their own economic interests. Their taxes are gonna have to go up or their local services are gonna get worse because they just got rid of a cash cow. And it was because there were a few people that actually showed up to the meetings and did this and threw a whole stink and they, great, they quote succeeded and got the change they wanted, but the change they wanted was a shotgun to their face like well is that really the change you wanted and i think it's similar here great you can go spend all the time you want and drive all these bookings and go outside these channels you probably are going to end up paying more when you really look at your all-in costs and if you were just stuck with the channels one and two what you end up spending and the time and attention you put towards that is going to mean you're actually worse at delivering what people care about what guests care about, what your owners probably care about. And if that's the case, then did you really succeed as a manager and what you said you were there for? I, I would argue no. Really good point. And I'm glad you, um, you sort of segued into my next question, really, which was about uh, regulations and legislation, um, how, we, how we can prepare to deal with the potential of that type of action in the future. Let's, let's, you, you mentioned what happened in Orange Beach. C- can you can give, give us a pricey of that? The best coverage I've seen from an industry insider is you probably know from Amy Hynode over at VR Mintel mm-hmm. on this. But it, it's 
it's one of those that really wasn't on anyone's radar. It's, it's, you've gone to these same sessions, the VRMA and elsewhere, where people say, oh, I don't need to go to the regulation session because that would never happen in my market. My market, everybody knows how valuable vacation rentals are. The majority of people have rent out their home, all this. It's never going to happen in my market. I think Orange Beach, this total dark horse proved, wow, no one really is safe. If, if you get the right lobbyists, if you get the right super influential local people that get a bee in their bonnet about something, they're going to find a way, even if it's against their own self-interest, to to harm the industry. I mean, look at U.S. elections right now. Clearly, people are fine voting against their own self-interest. They, maybe it's because they don't understand it. Maybe it's because they have something else they care about other than you know, morality or economics. So how you do it is you have to be proactive. You can't think, oh, that's relevant for everyone but me. You have to create the world you want to live in and build the coalitions and find out, are there people who do value this, who do care about this? How do I make the case? How do I get the people who would otherwise be against this on my side? What is it that they value that they care about? And how do I make sure that we, we find this compromise? We find a solution that helps people who want to travel to our area, that helps people who own properties in our area, people who raise their children in our area. There are solutions. And taking the ostrich approach of there's not going to be a problem, it's not a problem, I'm just going to bury my head until, oh my God, somebody cut off my head that's now in the hole, is not going to be a way to success. Yeah, I, I love the idea of, you know, collaboration and bringing people together and networking and understanding what, what the value of your property, your management company is to the area collectively with others. So that if something like this Orange Beach issue pops up, then you're ready for it. It was interesting because I was just, just last, last month, um, back in October, November, I was in Orange Beach having lunch with Amy. Um, because she was staying there and this was just you know it was just not mentioned there was nothing out there right. on the ra- on the radar as you say and there are just a ton of rentals in Baldwin County um, that, that oh, encompasses yeah. Orange Beach and only I was amazed only a residential population of 6,000 people so yeah when it when it comes to a a few members of council getting together and deciding that this is something that they're going to take action on whether it damages the uh, the the income potential, the tourism income potential, well, property values. Yeah, I mean it's it does a bunch of stuff. That the problem, the issue with humans is we're not very good at thinking through secondary effects, much less tertiary and tertiary. So people say, oh, I don't like spring breakers coming down, and it gets too wild one of the fifty-two weeks a year. So I think we should ban all of this. Like, okay, well, your primary effect is great. You, you stopped, maybe, spring breakers coming down. In reality, people are still going to break the law and do whatever. So you didn't actually stop that. But secondarily, by making this illegal, what did you just do? Well, the other 51 weeks plus that week of tax revenue that my local government used to collect is now not coming into our coffers. 
does that mean we now can hire fewer teachers, fewer firemen, fewer policemen? Are my roads now worse as a result? Or do I just have to pay more taxes out of pocket? Are my sales taxes going up? Are my property taxes going up? Who knows? So there's a whole set of effects there. Then there's the property values. As you said, they only have 6,000 residents. They're a huge number, huge number of people who own properties down there as investments. And the price of those properties is based on how much you can earn for those properties or how much people expect to earn. And if you just killed that, not only are their property values going down, but so are yours. Was that your retirement plan? Did you put a lot of your savings into your house, one of you 6,000 residents, and kind of count on being able to take out uh, a reverse mortgage when you get older to be able to fund retirement, et cetera? If so, you just hurt your chances for any of that. And none of those things were intentional. They just didn't think through all of them. They didn't think through all the, the other effects of this first myopic action. And I, I just, I want to go back to one thing you said of being ready when something like this in Orange Beach happens. I would 100% argue, and I know Matt Curtis would say the same thing and many other people would say the same thing, that is too late. You, you don't want to be ready when something like this happens. You want to be planning ahead so something like this does not happen. You need to be building the local relationships well ahead of these people entrenching themselves in certain positions. You need to understand what these people actually value, what they're trying to achieve. Because this isn't just a problem with our industry. It's anybody in sales that's not terribly good at it. They're, they think a sales job is to, to go convince someone, to go sell someone. Your first job is to listen. You have no idea how to position the product, or if your product or stance is even palatable to the other side. Just go and listen first and figure out what do people value? What is the solution we need to craft together that in the long run works for all of us, benefits all of us? Because if you wait till they've already lobbed a, a bomb over the transom, then it's too late. You, you maybe have a 50-50 chance of success at that stage. If you go in on the front end, start working with people, you're friends with them, they're not going to hurt Heather, they're buddies with Heather. They're going to work with you. Mm -hmm. Then maybe you have a 90, 95% chance of success. But you have to be proactive. You can't just push it off and say, oh, I'll deal with that later. You make fantastic points there. And thank you. Thank you for that. Um, what are the what, you know, what do you see coming ahead this year? What are the opportunities and threats we should be looking at in 2018? Yeah, I mean, the biggest, I would say, are actually the same thing. The opportunity creates the threat and that the space, and this is not, I guess, super creative or original, is just growing so fast and gaining so much attention as a result. So... The opportunity is the growth, is the attention from more and more guests saying, hey, you know, I've always stayed in hotels, but this seems to make a lot more sense. Uh, let me look at a vacation rental, a, a alternative accommodation, a short-term rental, whether they're in a vacation destination or a city. But the flip side of that coin is the attention not just from regulators and NIMBYs and everything, which we just touched on, but from competitors, and higher expectations from the guests. And it gets back to that JFK quote of, for those uh, to whom much is given, much is required. 
So you're given, you're being given, we're all being given this amazing opportunity for a great space that's growing so fast. But to succeed is going to require a ton of hard work, a ton of focus. The competition will get bloody. I mean, we, we didn't get into it, but one of the things that you had asked was, what was I not surprised about in 2017? And one of the things was just how much money was being poured into managers. It, I, uh, I always say, of course, I think I'm right, but I'm often right at the wrong time, right? So back in 2012, 2013, I said, oh, you know, this is the time these next Hyatt and Hilton and Marriott's are going to be created in the space. Well, fast forward five years and we actually get the first nine figure, hundred plus million dollar investment round in a manager. We get our first billion plus dollar bid for a management company. We'll close in quarter one of this year, probably over 1.5 billion. And we truly are starting to see the, the creation, the growth of these Hilton's, Marriott's, uh, call them what you want, of our space. And so the competition will be fierce. These companies have a lot of money to spend. These companies have to make a lot of money to justify all the money they took on and make their investors happy. And, you know, I think Uber and others have shown once you start getting that kind of big money in, you in the short term can make decisions that make no economic sense for an individual company unless you believe I can just put everybody out of business and then make money a decade from now. And what's that going to mean for this long tail of smaller players? And that's where I would go back to, oh, well, do we need to fight against the big players? Do we need to fight against the OTAs? Do we need to do this, that, and the others? No, what you need to focus on and do is deliver unparalleled excellence, service, and experiences to your guests, to the people who are paying you money, who are looking for you, who care about you and understand why they do and deliver what they care about. Not what you care about, but what they care about. And the only way to do that is to listen and to understand because it's not monolithic. It's not the same for you, Heather, as someone in Orange Beach, as someone in Aspen, as someone in Paris. It's going to be different. And even within market, it may be very, very different by property type, by location specific. So really understanding your guests, understanding your owners and the people you serve is what's going to be required to succeed. That's great, Andrew. Thank you. It, it sort of mirrors something that um, Wes Melton said to me recently from um, um, SmokyMountains.com. Um, yep. When I talked to him, he quoted from a book uh, called The Experience Economy by B. Joseph Pine II back in 1999. And, oh, wow. <laughs> and, and offered that up as a book that everybody should read and said, you know, it is, it's, it's just as relevant today uh, as it was when, when that was published. And he, you know, he then went on to talk about Starbucks and the experience, the ex mm -hmm. you know, the experience of drinking your coffee bean in at Starbucks and paying a lot of money for it and, and how we should 
look at becoming experienced managers rather than property managers. So I think this is all along the same lines. I don't I don't know whether to be excited or scared about, about where we're going, but I think that's a choice, isn't it? So I would say Starbucks is an amazing example to bring up because one, if you're going back to 1999, that was exactly how they succeeded. They created this amazing, cozy, you hear them grinding the beans, you smell it experience. And Howard Schultz brought in a CEO, walked away, and they totally lost that. Totally, totally lost it. Companies started tanking, didn't have the smell, they didn't roast the beans on site, everything changed. People thought that were running the company, we deliver high-priced coffee. And that wasn't what the guests cared about. That wasn't what their customers valued. And so we had to come back in and recreate that Starbucks experience. The company has never been stronger. It, it, it was a hard fight and he had to you know, invest a bunch of resources doing it. But I had a meeting literally this week where someone said, I put Starbucks in my retirement account because when I go in the suburbs to a Starbucks, every single person in that other than me is a teenager. That's where they go. That's their social spot. That's where they go to study at night. That's where they go. They are set for generations Mm -hmm. because they've gotten back to delivering that experience. So Starbucks is both an inspirational tale as well as a word of warning of what can happen when you lose that experience that people value and don't understand what it is that the people truly, truly value. So in in terms of being optimistic versus fearful, I'd say be optimistic with a, with a healthy dose of fear of it is going to require me paying attention and working hard. It's not going to be easy. You know, I think we've had a number of years where it was relatively easy because the space was growing so fast that just showing up meant you could grow. Mm-hmm. And now we've gotten to a world where people saw that and started pouring in a lot of money and really smart people from outside the industry started getting involved. And it's competition's gotten bloody and just showing up, showing up one part, we showed up to the right industry. Now you have to do what it takes to win. Andrew, this has been a really, really great conversation. And I I just want to thank you for sharing all these insights with us. A couple of things before I let you go. First of all, tell us about rented.com. Not um, having you on here without you being able to talk (laughs) a little bit about your company. Well, you know, we, we talk about this in the last two podcasts, so I'm, I'm quite interested to hear, to hear how, you, how, how it's getting on. Yeah, and I think probably we, we evolved a little bit each time. So rented.com is the largest marketplace in the world that connects homeowners and vacation homeowners, property investors with short-term rental managers. And we do that by going to the homeowner and guaranteeing them a set amount of money for the year, for a time period. It could be six months, it could be five years. You know, it just gives them a fixed amount. They know they're getting paid every single month exactly what they're getting, as well as getting the best turnkey service in the world. Because what we do, once we pay that under that specific amount, we work with our network of over 1,300 professional management companies in more than 80 countries to put the single best manager for your property into managing that home. So, the five-bedroom single-family home in Aspen is going to get a very different manager than the two-bedroom condo in Aspen. Those are just different managers. And so we really think through a curated list uh, and curation for, 
for your home, uh, as well as giving you that guaranteed income as an owner. How has the company developed over the past three years? It's developed really, really well. I mean, we started off um, believing owners wanted that guaranteed income and valued that turnkey service. And we were totally right. They do. That was super, super important to them. And we had tons of owners literally all over the world coming into rent.com, signing up, using the service. What we learned was most managers don't really have the financial wherewithal or desire to be able to provide that guarantee. They may be very limited geographically or on their cash flows and seasonality. And so can't say, yeah, I can guarantee you this because there could be a bad snow season, because there could be an oil spill, because there could be some hurricanes that hit during holiday weekends that impact their revenue. And so even though homeowners really wanted this, managers weren't willing or able to offer it. And so to close that gap, rented.com started doing that ourselves. So we, we raised this fund so we can do $125 million of these guarantees for homeowners. And we went and put that money into the hands of our managers. So a manager going to talk to a homeowner can say, hey, I'm a great manager. Here's my traditional rental program. But unlike every other manager who's going to tell you they're a great manager and they're going to make you the most money and they're going to take care of your home the best, I'm the one manager here who can tell you exactly what you're going to get paid next year. And that's because I'm a rented.com partner and you just hook your bank account to them and every month your money is in your bank. And so it helps our managers grow. They see conversions with those same homeowners go up five to 10 times uh, and the homeowners just end up being incredibly, incredibly happy with the service. Thanks for sharing that. The other thing I want you to share is, or I want to share with the audience, is that you're going to be a keynote speaker at the Vacation Rental Success Summit in San Antonio in May. Can you give us any little idea about what you're going to be speaking about? It, it really is building on some of the stuff we touched on later today or earlier uh, in this conversation, which is to understand the future of what you need to do, what you need to provide, you need to understand why, why people are in the space, why they came to you in the first place, why they value you. And we'll be looking at not just the guests, not just the owners, but also the third party partners. Why do they do the things they do? And just really helping you navigate where you need to go by getting into that why. Perfect. Well, I will be putting um, information in the show notes, of course, as I will every week now for, for the Vacation Rental Success Summit. So if you'd like to come along Great. and hear Andrew speak, then you uh, should get your tickets now. Um, is there anything else you want to add, Andrew, before I let you go? I would just say if, you know, certainly check us out on rented.com if you want. We have a bunch of free tools. We'll have the our 2018 rented report coming out soon, ranking the top 100 plus markets for real estate investment uh, for short-term rentals. And all that's totally free. And then if you want to follow me on Twitter at all, it's at M.A. McConnell. So um, would, would love to see you there. Okay. I'll make sure I put those links in the show notes as well. Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, again. Uh, look forward to seeing you in May and look forward to talking you again, to you again probably around about the same time next year. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Heather. Thanks, Andrew.
So thank you so much to Andrew McConnell of Rented.com for that very insightful perspective on the on our, our vacation rental industry as we continue into and through 2018. Um, I'm, I, for one, am really looking forward to listening to Andrew when he comes to San Antonio for VRSS and, uh, and hope you will too. So while I'm on the topic of, of keynotes, I just want to just remind you who else will be on the main stage in San Antonio to deliver our keynote addresses. Um, for those of you who were at VRSS 2017, you will, have, you will no doubt remember the terrific presentation that David Angotti from Smoky Mountains gave. It was um, really, really inspiring. And I'm pleased to say that David will be back delivering the opening keynote this time at uh, VRSS 2018. We're also going to be hearing from Steve Milo, um, who is from VTrip, which is formerly Vacation Rental Pros. Now, Steve has been on my podcast a couple of times. He has a very unique style of delivery in terms of his presentations uh, for, for anybody who's been to a VRMA conference and seen Steve Steve give his what he calls his unfiltered presentation you'll know that he does a no holds barred talk about the OTAs why sometimes we should be using them how to get the most out of your listing or listings on the OTAs uh, it is a presentation that should not be missed so uh, I'm looking forward to that one. Um, Matt Curtis, who was formerly of HomeAway and has been in, involved in government relations for many, many years. He was the director of government relations at HomeAway. Matt is uh, going to be uh, on the main stage with a panel. And the panel has yet to be announced because we are going to be selecting three or four of the best people to give you information on how to deal with regulations and legislation in this industry, regardless of where you're located. So that, I think, is going to be extremely interesting. Then, of course, you know, no Vacation Rental Success Summit is complete without the incomparable Matt Landau. Now, I don't know what Matt's doing just yet. Uh, apparently, it's going to be something a little bit different. So, don't be expecting a stand on the stage presentation with slides because I think um, I think Matt's going to surprise us all this year. Just just to see all these these great speakers, not only on the stage but to get to meet them in the networking afterwards. That is that is a huge benefit of coming to VRSS in itself. And then of course there will be all the workshop speakers as well. I am not doing a keynote presentation this year. I'll be doing a workshop um, in the owner's track. You can go to the Vacation Rental Success Summit website and see information on all the speakers, um, the, the ones that we have in place at the moment. There's still a few gaps that we are filling. And, uh, and check out what topics are going, to be, uh, are going to be presented this year. And I guarantee you it's going to be amazing. If you haven't bought your ticket yet, then definitely head on over to the link on the website or vacationrentalsuccesssummit.com and get that in place. 
And for an added incentive, if you were to contact me at heather at cottageblogger.com, there will be a further discount. So I'm not telling you what that is. You've just got to send me an email and ask about it. Tell me a little bit about yourself because if you come to VRSS, I'm going to want to meet you. So on that note, I'm going to leave that for now. Thanks again to Andrew McConnell. Um, looking forward to next week and being with you once again. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over, but don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business. Oh, 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 oh